Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to this week's episode of The Nero Show. In today's episode... That Time Trial by Vingago. What do we think? Nutty or not? Is that the new specialised SL8? UCL updates its transgender inclusion policy. What are our thoughts? And Cam Nichols releases a ride review of the Elves, but no one watches it. What's going on? All right, let's get into it. Well, looks like you got your way, Jesse. The uh, the Death Star has just destroyed Alderaan. Continue with the operation. You may fire when ready. What? Jonas has... Wow. Uh, I'm... Yeah, I'm... A little bit speechless after mm. that. So it is Wednesday morning here, so we've just woken up. Interesting to see if he carries this form through the rest of the stages, but I am in I'm still in shock. I think this performance is warrants its own discussion separate to everything else that goes on in the tour, really. Yes. Yep. Very much so. Uh so I mean, where do we start <laughs> where do we start? I guess look, the thing is there's obviously the time difference. Now, Tadej Pogacar had a good ride. He's um, a, more than a minute ahead of Wout van Aert, who was in third, and then Jonas Vingegaard, a minute 38 ahead of Tadej. And the thing, I guess this brings up so many questions. I guess the big one for me is they were neck and neck for for, for most of the last seven stages. I think uh, Vingegaard started off a bit stronger. But the middle, this middle part of the tour, they've been toe-to-toe. So to come out and be a minute 38 faster in only about a 30-minute time trial, I, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, un- it's utterly unbelievable to have that swing in performance in two days. So, he, so, so I'll break it down. I mean, I was thinking, so best-case scenario, and this is where there's, I swear there's a bit of gaslighting on Twitter and stuff with people being like, well, he was... He's a faster descender and maybe he's on a, a lighter bike. But fair enough. So if you sort of give benefit of the doubt and you add up all those usual little things that when I'm looking at a time trials, I'll, I'll add up in my head and say, okay, well, maybe there is a bit of gains there and, and a bit of gains in the equipment. And maybe he played the rest day a bit better and was coming in a bit stronger. Um, I was thinking maybe Tadej, um, sorry, maybe Jonas would win by 15 seconds. 20 seconds, you know, if he managed to take any time on Tadej, I think that would have been a fantastic ride. So that's kind of what I was going into, uh, going into the stage. But to come out and put a minute 38, I, I honestly can't think of, even if I add up all the usual natural things that could possibly go in his favour, better descending on the technical part, arguably, you, I'm not even getting to a minute, let alone a minute 38. So, there's, I mean, there's obvious questions that's going to come up from that because that is just absolutely out of the realm of what anyone thought would be possible. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit, I mean, disappointed, obviously. I'm, yeah, yeah uh, not only for the racer's perspective because it would have been great to see these guys just carrying a couple of seconds into the last few days. We have this discussion and it's there's like this elephant in the room that we're not talking about that is almost the reason we're actually having this discussion in the first place because that's all that both of us are kind of thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, do we deserve an explanation? This is where I get because I'm thinking okay. if yeah. he's not doping, if this isn't some something he's taken which is illegal, uh, why don't – do I think do we deserve an explanation as to how he's made a minute and a 40 seconds in two days? I, I, I mean, personally, I feel like 
the audience and the really keen interested viewers deserve some sort of explanation because otherwise it is doping. Like there's no explanation as how this is possible unless the teams give us something. And okay, even in terms of the anti-doping efforts, you've got biological passport, these guys are getting drug tested and blood tested and we've got all these expert, you know, oh, your, your blood values changed a bit. That might trigger a flag in the biological passport. But in terms of actual performance, a rider can come out and do something, in my opinion, unexplainable like this and they don't have to explain it. Mm. It's just, well, that is what it is and shut up. You don't deserve to know why we got that swing in performance because, as I said, it's I can't think of how you would swing your performance around that much that quickly without it being something that's banned. I think this is the anniversary of the Festina um, incident. Was So it was 25? Mm-hmm. I think 25 years ago, potentially this week, right? Mm-hmm. And it was reminded to me this this week by actually someone who wasn't involved in it but who was on the media side of it that that whole investigation was led by the media. The, the whole following up these writers at the time was blown blown up by journalists. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay, here we go. So let, let's, instead of just sort of doing what everyone on Twitter does and just sort of, oh, this is unbelievable and not actually saying anything, here's what I would think would be would be cool to see. Jumbo Visma come out and say, look, questions are coming up because of that ride. So sit down with one of the coaches or the performance staff. They've got power meters on their bike, so they've got the power data. They've got power data from earlier in the race. Like it, it wouldn't be out of the question that they sit down and – if they didn't do anything that's illegal, run through how in their mind, how their performance managers have, what their explanation is as for how he's gone so far. So, mm. he, okay, he did this this many watts. This is what he was doing earlier in the tour. This is the rebound in form he's getting after the rest day. This is the equipment he's used. And at least give some sort of breakdown as how he's he's gotten a minute, 40 seconds faster than Pogacar. You know, and... and they might not be something they want to do because maybe there's things they're doing that aren't illegal that um, that they don't want to give well, away. This is the problem, but, isn't but, it? But yeah. At the end of the day, I unless they can explain this, which they might think, well, we don't need to explain it, but I think they do. Unless they can explain it, I mean, people are instantly going to say you have to be doping because I just don't see how you can get that much faster that quick. No, I mean, it, it was that is that is that out of the question that they would sit down and do that? Well, the, the pushback straight away is, well, what, we're going to give away our competitive advantage, which has just given us a minute 30 over the, one of the greatest riders of all time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the pro, that's the With enough pressure, they'd have, they, they yeah, would. Yeah, but who's going to, that's my point about the Festina thing in the media. Mm-hmm. No one's actually going to, in that legacy media space, no one is going to put pressure on them because they're all on the same cash cow and they want to roll them along, mm-hmm. you know. Is it up to the dumpster fire that is YouTube to, <laughs> to potentially put pressure on these guys to actually out themselves? You know, I kind of thought we were in this really cool space where writers were having doing podcasts and talking about us or all this sort of stuff that there is an outlet to do this. I think that's – I'd never thought about it like that, Jesse. That Maybe Lantern Rouge could do call. it. They've already He already did an interview with the performance manager, director guy over there. Maybe do another one. How did you do this? Yep. I mean – Something imagine, like that. Yeah. Imagine if imagine if they have and it's on Netflix. Yep. That would be mind blowing. Yep. How cool would that be? That mm-hmm. they've followed him along and now we're gonna get that Netflixy interview thing afterwards and being, yeah, well, here he was up the uh previous climb. We've seen the performance event. Yeah, I mean, mm. wow, that could that could be something that's pretty amazing. Do I think that's gonna happen? No, I think the Netflix documentary will be, oh, yeah, I pushed really hard today. And, and I love this quote. Diamonds like, in the legs to the good yeah, legs. In, and <laughs> I love this quote from him. I, I, did, I didn't believe my power meter. I was going to get on to that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So that, I was going to say, so that, that quote he said where he, didn't, he couldn't believe the power he was doing. But something's caused that. You don't just wake up one day and you're doing 20 watts more than you were yesterday. So some, something's well, caused that. Yeah. So he's already hinted at that he had an amazing day. Well, how? <laughs> Miracles don't happen. There is something legal or illegal, I don't know what it is, that has caused that and I think we deserve we we deserve to know. Maybe so I'll be <laughs> spoiled. Would, would we be able to throw something out there and just say he's found 15 watts from last week? 
would that be a... a in terms of number, I, yeah. I think it's more than 15 watts. That's what that I speed thought too. Is, to put a minute 38, no, that's more, um, that's probably, I mean, I'd be purely making up numbers, but it's more than 15 watts is in a minute 38 and a 30-minute no. time trial. It's more than that. Yeah. Because if they don't explain it, and if we don't, if someone isn't able to kind of analyze it and come up with an explanation of how that, how that even in theory would be possible naturally, the only answer is that he must have been doping. Because unless we have a, even a pie-in-the-sky natural explanation, which we don't even have, I mean, I'm sorry, but how is that mm. a natural performance? I, it's... So it's, I mean, they that's can, where I'm at with it. Yeah, they they can argue it away and say, well, he was he was holding holding something back for the last week. I've heard that one before. I know yeah. that was that was the nibbly approach was always to hold something back for the last week, and then your your gains in the last week would be larger due to the fatigue of your rivals. I know that was that was a thing that was at play, but you're right. Like, that's po- I mean, yeah, that's possible. That is possible. I mean, I don't didn't see it when I was like just kind of looking at. Jonas's expressions on the climbs, like mm. it didn't look like he was, he was faking or holding anything back. But I mean, maybe could you argue? It's a big risk, though. Could you argue, argue potentially that, like the power profile of the two riders? You know how Tade has that kick that gives him the, the what the six seven hundred watt kick that he seems to hold at the end of these climbs to try and snap snap an elastic. That's not as relevant an advantage, obviously, in a time trial. And that maybe masked the difference in the time trialing abilities. That one's a bit fake news because he's kicking at the end of doing six point eight watts per kilo for twenty minutes already. So the, the the watts per kilo he's doing before he when you see that kick, yeah, he does have that kick, but it's off the back of aerobically at least for the shorter climbs, that not at altitude, not in the heat, a similar level. If not, we've seen him actually a bit stronger than Jonas in those shorter efforts. Even sustained ones, not necessarily surging. So I, even that one, I'm not, I don't, wouldn't give as much weight to my opinion. Uh, the holding back thing, I mean, potentially, but again, that could maybe, maybe that could be explained with some some power data and. Yeah. But they, but they haven't even thrown that theory out there. That's kind mm. of what I'm saying is, maybe it will come out after. Maybe we'll come out in the next few days and they say, look, yeah, Jonas was really holding back. He, his heart rate didn't get to to max for the for the last for that middle week of the tour. But, but that explanation isn't actually even out there. So mm. we're kind of making this up for on their behalf. And I, I do feel like the equipment thing's a bit of fake news as well because I, I know a little bit from what, well, a little bit of the UAE type thing, that setup is optimised. That is like you hear the, oh, it's a fast bike shit all the time <laughs> yeah. and we kind of giggle at it and it is laughable because it's not about it being a fast bike, it's about the setup. And that's what UAE have dialed. They've spent a lot of money in that wind tunnel dialing that setup. There is there is no way UAE are riding that bike if it is not doing the things they want it to do. Mm-hmm. Those wheels and that group set, I know for a fact, have made that group that setup around 15 to 20 watts faster than it was last year. So, you know, that is an optimized setup. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's not even taking into consideration the positional changes that Tade's clearly clearly made as well. I don't know. I'm just talking Definitely. in roundabouts here. Yeah, but you, I mean, even give them the. I mean, give everyone on Twitter that comes up with this stuff the benefit of the doubt and add this stuff up. You're still not getting. No. You're not even getting to a minute, let alone a minute thirty eight. So that's uh, that's what I have to say. I, I I personally, I think this needs to be explained. If 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 he's not doping, then how is this possible? And I think. Personally, I think in this day and age, given the history of the sport, this should come from the team. Um, if they don't want to have to give those explanations, tell Vingegaard to slow down in the last part of the time trial. I mean, that time gap is a joke. If you, if you, if you don't want to have to give explanations, win the time trial by 30 seconds and you're probably not having this conversation. But that time is uh, ridiculous. So, He's, Okay. Okay. If, yeah. If, if they uh, are. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really... Are con- we in this... We, do we stay? Are we... No, well, so I'm really conflicted about it because the most part of me thinks I don't. That's why I don't even have. I can't even explain it because I don't know what they'd be taking. That how, how what would they be taking that they're not testing positive for that would give that level of swing in performance? I can't even for for the sake of hypotheticals. I can't even really come up with anything that you would think would not get tested for. 
which is why it makes it even more confusing because you can say back in the day, well, they got a blood bag yeah. and that caused that swing performance in that shorter period of time. But I'm almost, can't they test for that now? <laughs> Isn't that, can't they detect that? So they can detect the aged blood cells or the plastic residue or whatever it is. I can't remember exactly what it is. So you'd think that they can't do that this day and age, which makes it even more perplexing because yeah. you go, what, what could you be taking to do this? And they've, they've, you're so confident in it not being picked up that you're that doing you, this yeah. literally Moto Man style at, <laughs> at the tour. You're yeah. so confident in it. That you're making the performance as blatantly reeking of doping as you can by winning by such a margin. But you must, but you're either are natural or you're taking something which you know for 100% fact you're not going to get done for. But and I can't even I don't but that's the thing I don't know what that could be is it is it, I mean is it some the only thing I think I always come back to is there some new class of in testing phase clinical trial drug that they're getting access to and then that, and that's just like EPO back in the day when you, you couldn't test for it and they just go well we're just gonna take this but what of, what would it be to give that swing within mm, two days? A lot of good <laughs> things happening in cancer research at the moment. It's, a lot of good things happening. Yeah. So you know maybe. Maybe we're getting into that sort of. That That's sort of where thing. I go to, is it? I go full. I, I, I go. I'm like, this can't be. It's just like EPO, can it? Surely what about, you're what about positive. What about brain doping? Yeah, there's one for you. Brain doping. So mm-hmm. you're you're somehow masking the receptors in your brain that receive any pain, and you're able to somehow nullify them mm-hmm. for a period of time. Mm-hmm. It's like it's, beyond a stimulant. Yeah. it's like go another level. Because there's some really yeah. good research and stuff being done into Alzheimer's and and the way and concussion. And there's a lot of developments happening there. Maybe, maybe we're getting into maybe. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. Although at the end of the day, the, the, your blood can only carry so much oxygen. It doesn't matter how much harder you push. You can't just. So if you switch your yeah. brain off, you can't. Okay. <laughs> well, your, your blood can only transport, yeah, a certain amount of oxygen. <laughs> which you're, if you're on the limit of, you're on the limit of, regardless mm. of how hard you push. So it's gonna have to. It'll have to be something. It's changing the if he, if, affecting if, the if blood. If they're taking legal sort of t- TUE stuff, is that is that listed somewhere? Is that uh, accessible to the public? No. That's what got leaked. The, yeah. the old Team Sky TUE list got leaked. Yeah. and But that was for, I think that was for, mostly for asthma medications. It wasn't like well, anything. That was for him, 600 juicy before a, before a race yeah. type stuff. I don't yeah. think – and the t- I mean, I think there's definitely holes in the TUE system, especially if – in sort of masters racing, if okay, where do you draw the line at a medical need for testosterone, for example? But I find it hard. I don't think abuse. The, I don't think at the world tour level, kind of abusing the TUE system is a, would be as apparent because mm. you, that has to get the, 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 the your TUEs have to get approved, so it gets reviewed whether it's legitimate or not. So yeah. I find that a bit. I, I don't know. That's why. And then every time you kind of go through one of these, or could it be that? Probably not. Could it be that? Probably not. You come back to they're on something that they're potentially on something that is not really pub- released to the public yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's where I'm at, but I don't know. Yeah. Would you have doubts in the sport, continuing in the sport, if you found out these guys were on illegal substances? Like, or be would personally you, yeah, continuing? Yeah. Would it, no, 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 it doesn't. Okay. I wouldn't, I like, I wouldn't really. It just is what it is. I would, just, uh, yeah. Wouldn't you would just say it, it is what it is. Yeah, You've got no issue tra- training. I mean, you're coaching a few young guys that you know dream, I suppose, of one day being in this thing. Like, do you feel if, at all? If res- there was a big scandal came out, and, mm. and it, yeah, yeah. Uh, would you feel like you're just sending them to the the meat market? I mean, look. At the end of the day, if this is the unfortunate thing, is you can have this conversation, but Bjorn uh, Lambrecht died a few years ago. You had Gino made like. You're doing such a dangerous sport anyway. If you're committed to being a pro, you, you're, accept, you're accepting all those other risks of crashing and the black and white things that are going to happen. To be honest, the the risk that you're then getting asked to dope, um, yeah, is not f- cool. But you, you're already, uh, I don't know if this, this sounds bad, but you're already accepting risking your life. Literally, I'm not. That's not being exaggerating. You're accepting to be a pro. You're accepting to risk your life whether you're doping or not. So to me, if you've decided to become a pro, you've accepted that risk and 
the doping is if the, if a scandal came out it would just be a, uh, another risk on top of the ones you've already accepted to take. The mindset of the athlete that makes it that far in the sport, due to the nature of the real the day to day reality of it, is tailor made for someone who is essentially going to go that next step, whatever it might be. Because, mm-hmm. like you said, the the day to day risks are are extraordinary. I don't know. I I would. I feel like if if it did come out that these guys were, I do think it would change my relationship to the sport. I would I would still probably race my amateur races that I like doing, but I feel like maybe it would change the show. I, I would feel like obligated to maybe not talk about it. Yeah. Really? I mm-hmm. think I think that's that's the kind of pushback I would have. Yeah. It like, would make it it would affect everything because then you'd would. be looking at like when we uh I'm trying to stop say like, by the way. So <laughs> the um, when we talk about bikes, for example, and how they're ridden by a weld to a team, we then go, "Well, that's mm. irrelevant anyway." So it changes everything, which is kind of more of a reason why not that many pro cyclists test positive for anything because it would just ruin everything. Everything gets ruined with a doping scandal underneath it. So it's. I can't even fathom. It's in everyone's best interest for it to be kept under. Yeah, the, yeah. I, I can't Ugh. even think of how I would yeah. w- react because it would. Yeah, it's hard to even know. I wasn't around during all the relative, relatively new to the sport. I wasn't around during all the previous uh, some doping scandals came out. Well, it's like I said in the beginning, that was brought out by media. That was essentially disgruntled journalists who Lance had palmed off and but chucked into the corner because he won't talk to them because he knew they were chasing him mm-hmm. and they kept chasing him until eventually some smoke was found. Can I know? just can I just say, uh, I, if anything, if there is some sort of doping happening or scandal that's happening, I do think it's, it would be, it's all very small, small circles. I don't think there's team, team-wide, everyone knows and it's just kept a secret. So I think the majority of team staff, the majority of... The riders don't have much of a clue, or they have suspicions, but don't actually have anything legitimate. And I think the actual the people actually in the know is very small and mm. very tightly sealed. If if there is anything going on, I to, to think that you know some random team coach at Ineos is aware of their a widespread doping program. It, I don't think that's happening. Yeah. Ooh, deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right, moving on. Moving on. The Nero suit. Mm. There, we've been racing in we it. Have been. And so how this came about, the first time I ever saw your wrapped frame, I instantly said that needs to be a kit. <laughs> so went to work, uh, went to the same supplier I use that does the kit for my coaching business and did some samples for some skin suits, did a design with them. Click your fingers, fast forward in time, here it is. Just quickly, yep. you just said click your fingers fast. Can you actually give a like a... An actual timeline there, because this does blow my mind. It's quick. Bit. They're quick. So I'm not. I'm not going through a uh, champion systems or or, or a quare. I basically have an OEM supplier from China that I work with directly from the factory. I speak with them. We come up with a design. I pay for a sample. They send out a sample. You don't have to do the sample process, but when you're getting anything direct from a factory, you kind of have to get a sample. Sample can be here within usually. Three weeks. Wow. Yep. And then I'll just, um, we've been riding in it, um, put an order in, and then, you know, probably five four, five weeks usually for, for the whole order. It's really quick. And and I'll actually say the customer service, okay, English clearly isn't their first language, but it's really good, really responsive, and their, their supplier's fantastic. So stoked with it. So what's the plan with this thing then? It's for sale. So we've been riding in it. Testing it, and I did a bit of a Joe at Winspace, put an order in. So I got about 10 in each size. Uh, we'll put the link below. And this will go out on Friday. Link will be live. And if you want one, go and grab one. Ship domestic and international anywhere. And yeah, just see how it goes. <laughs> so, a couple of specifics on the kit that yep. uh, did surprise, surprise me going in. So, it's a two pocket setup. This is a race. So, okay, I would describe this as a a road race suit, I think. Yeah. You wouldn't do Grafton in Varel on it, but you probably, which is like a five, six hour road race, but you would do a 
two, three hour road race I'd and do, definitely a crit. I'd do Grafton in it. Really? Yep. Okay. I this this uh, to me this is just this, uh, well I've done I've raced Grafton for the last six years in t- sort of two in one aero two pockets though aero roads that's suits. my issue two pockets very aero I love that and they're very they're kind of they're low cut mm-hmm. which makes them super easy to access which I'm a big fan of mm-hmm. and oh, so the two pockets is yeah, getting two, po- you. two yeah. pocket thing so I run the uh, for a race like Grafton I run the flask down the back of the jersey and then I don't have much in the pockets anyway so it probably wouldn't bother me. Um, but yeah, just, it's, a, it's, it's not technically not a skin suit. I, I consider skin suits to, to not have pockets. This is uh, what would be a sort of an aero road suit. Uh, sleeve length's nice. Uh, elbow. Elbow if, thing's good. Uh, sleeve length to the elbow, leg can, length down close to the knee. Can we discuss the penis pouch? Because yes. this is my first experience of a penis pouch. Yep. Uh, just quickly, those who aren't familiar with the terminology penis pouch, it is, uh, so you, it's a two-part system where the, the jersey unzips. Well, there is actually a jersey ver- part of it, and that mm-hmm. unzips. And then you have like a little crunch system, yep. uh, which allows a, a, a flop out, a flop out <laughs> if required. <laughs> and then you can uh, return and pop back in. Now, I must admit when I first put this on, I thought there'd be a little bit too much flexibility and room movement in there. Uh, mm-hmm. However, I have found that it's not that case at all. Mm-hmm. Um as I said, my first experience of I know the raffle ones just just do like a two-way, a zip, two-way zip system, yep. but it does zip up quite high, which would mean any flop out is borderline impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, so initial, it's my actually, initial thoughts are quite good. Yeah, awesome. Uh, it is um, the same that sort of style that two in one with the with the with the penis pouch, penis pouch. is similar. It's not from the same supplier as Quare, but that's the style they use where it's not all attached that is sort of slightly separate. Um, so if you are road racing and doing a nature break, you can easily urinate. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Okay. This is going to carry on to what we're seeing in the tour, but the bib short part, mm. Lycra chat, mm. it is pre-dyed Lycra on the shorts, not sublimated. So quick Lycra lesson. Chris, you're the Lycra expert. Correct me if I say anything wrong. Usually if you're putting logos on Lycra, it'll be a white piece of Lycra and they print all the black, all the navy, all the colours on and that's how you get the on Lycra. On the outside. On the outside. Yep. Problem is when you have sublimated Lycra and you stretch it, the colour changes so the black starts to go a bit grey. Other option is you have pre-dyed Lycra, which is pure black. All the thread is black. And then to put logos on, it's a little more intensive because you have to then produce the logo separately and they're basically heat transferred on separately. And that's what you've got on the, the Nero suit. So I was looking through, I'm kind of obsessed with looking at for this stuff now. And at the tour, some teams are using pre-dyed, some teams are using sublimated and you can spot it pretty easily. So UAE on most of their kit, it's sublimated. So I'll bring up some photos, this one of Tade here and you can see usually the piece of Lycra around the chamois is the pre-dyed piece because there doesn't need to be any logos. And then on the outside, they use the sublimated piece. You can see here, see how that black started to go a little bit gray as it stretches? That's an example of sublimated. As well here, Ineos. I think the BioRacer sublimated Lycra is quite good, better quality. So it's slightly harder to tell, but you can see here, pretty sure this is... Danny Martinez, you can see that navy has started to go a bit of light blue there. So the, I, I don't know if it's better quality or not, but navy sublimation looks better than black sublimation just because the, the difference in colours between what is the 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 pre-dyed is, is not as dramatic as the black. Mm-hmm. So what you tend to get is the effect of it almost being a, a kind of um, more textured colour rather mm. than the black where it just looks like it's stretched True. out. True, like the navy kind of, it looks like it's done on purpose almost, Correct. like it's a shade of blue. Yep. Now the problem um, with it is on unfortunately for the Sudal, uh, uh, what's that team called? Sudal Quickstep women's team, they've got, it's really obvious. So the oh, strip, Jesus. The, yeah, like the strip they have in the middle of the, chamois, of the shorts is pre-dyed and it's really stretched over over the um, the sublimated panel on the sides. And now with women, obviously they have different proportions. Women have hips; it generally stretches the lycra a bit more. So 
the fit of a women's bib shorts should usually be different because they have different proportions. But unfortunately, you can see what the result is here um, with the AG Insurance women's team is it's really noticeable that it's almost – it looks weird, I, I would actually say. So that's an example. Now, is there anyone in the tour using pre-dyed bib shorts? I spent last night zooming in way too close on pictures of men's cyclists. But Yumbo Visma, to my eye, their bib shorts are pre-dyed. So you can see here, there's a photo here of uh, Jonas Vingegaard, and you can see how crisp those logos look and how there is absolutely no discoloration in the uh, lycra on the side of the leg. That's because those logos are heat pressed on. And this other photo here of Wout Van Aert, and you, you can see that uh, Hema, Hema, that red logo, that's, that's a heat press logo. So... Nice um, marginal, I'd say marginal gain. I also find feels nicer. It's it's it, yeah. a pre-dyed lycra is generally a little bit softer. Yep, and, and feels nicer. And I the would, other, yep. I would argue that Movistar are running pre-dyed navy lycra by the looks of that. They've always been quite good with that. Now their brand is that Gobic. Gobic, yeah, yeah. I've never ridden that stuff. Um, that does look pre-dyed. From yes. what I can, I was going to say the Gobic kit looks. Really nice. And also AG2R. I was just going to ask you that. AG2R with those brown bib shorts, to my eye, that's, that, that's pre-dyed and their logos are heat-pressed on. Um, pre-dyed brown lycra. <laughs> that, that's almost bespoke yep. because you're not like th- this like colored lycra like that comes out of a factory. Like there's it's not, not there's not gonna not, be much. <laughs> yeah. It's not a big market, is it, for pre-dyed no. brown lycra? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it looks I mean, it looks I like it. Like I'd run that. Mm-hmm. I'd run. I'd and run. you can even so just coming back to, to the Nero suit, I'll put up a photo here. One of the samples I did of um one of the samples I got of the skin suit had a sublimated leg, and you can see how the the black here, um, this is me wearing it, has gone slightly grey. So then yeah, just went back to the supplier and got them to s- swap it to a pre-dyed Lycra, got them to heat press the logo on, and then the result is an, uh, a non-discoloured leg, which is, in my opinion, superior. Yeah, so we'll put the links to that down below. Uh, yeah, the, we'll just run it until the sizes run out and, and go from there. Yeah. Um, so get on board. Some of them are slop. They, actually, one of the worst ones is the Alperson De Koenig. Yes. It, it it it's so bad that it looks like it's done on purpose. Maybe it maybe it is, actually, because it looks like it's part of the design. How how stretched it gets. It's crazy. Yeah, like the 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 photo of I think it's Vanderpol saluting uh, they'll bring it up at the end of San Remo. I think it's San Remo. Yeah. He won San Remo this year? Yeah. Yeah. He's like doing these ones and it's like he's got like the the sort of crouch putt patch, which is nice brown lycra, and then the two sides are just almost white. Yeah. It looks really weird. Yeah. 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 No. Not necessarily a fan of that. But you kind of have to with these pro teams because they have some of the teams have so many logos all over the legs, you couldn't heat press like 20 different logos on, so they, they don't actually have an option because they have so many sponsors. Yep. All right, let's talk about bikes. Let's talk about YouTube. Um, okay, do, do we talk about the SL8? Yeah, all right, we're going to talk about the SL8. So... I don't know. I don't know whether to believe this, Jesse. Um, you may have missed that Specialized supposedly have, well, we've found some pictures of a new Specialized bike. Grant's jumped on board, as have every other sort of cycling YouTuber, to say that this is the new Specialized bike and we're analysing every little lump and bump of this mm-hmm. bike. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Initial thoughts, mm-hmm. Jesse Coyle. I'm so underwhelmed. Mm. It just is a slim down SL7 with a pregnant head tube. I, I it's it's I'm I'm so underwhelmed to the point where I'm with you that is this a fake is this fake is a fake release. So we have this chat. It's a fake bike. I, I'm calling this the troll bike. Because <laughs> brands do this. Well especially electronic brands like Apple would always like just sort of leak out a few little fake iPhones into the sort of San Francisco community and all of a sudden it appears on a forum, oh, my God, it's the new iPhone, and then like three months later it's something completely different. I'm, I'm going to give Specialized the benefit of the doubt here and say this is a troll bike and what we might see are some of the little parts of this in the new bike. Even like the timing of this is weird. 
like if they were going to release a new bike, surely now would be the moment you release it rather than sort of have it like starting mm. to leak out at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I don't know. That's that's sort of my take on it because, look, it, uh, let's argue, let's say that this is the new bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, massively underwhelmed and you would have to, you would have to say that unless it's like super light. Yeah. Like, because hmm. the I mean, the Venge and the SL6 were, and then the SL7 were the, the big the big dicks of the the bike industry. It was it was the one everyone follows. And I'm looking at this photo, going, is this is this really the the market leader now? I, I, I don't see it. And everyone wants aero. I, I find it really hard to believe they're not doubling down on the aero stuff. And the and yeah, having it not at the tour. I mean, when are we going to see it? I mean, what what else could they do? Would they stick Remco on it and get him to win worlds on it? Is that? I wonder if they're going to try well, do the, something like that. The, but the, I guess maybe it doesn't need a result. Won't it get enough hype just from the release? Yeah, hundred percent. It doesn't matter yeah. who rides it when they ride it. No, no. I mean, this 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 thing sells. I mean, Grant said it in his video. Like, he's treading water till the new one sells because he's struggling to sell like SL sevens now because. People are kind of like, hoo, 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 here it comes, yep. ready for it. So, yeah, the, the, the new one will definitely sell. Yeah, paint it up in a Rem, Remco color scheme. I kind of come at it more from the perspective of, and I, we said this in one of our first episodes, was like, does the new Specialized matter to everyone else? And I argue that it does because it shows the direction that potentially the the, the industry takes going forward because they're the, the market leader, right? Mm. So, yeah, uh, I mean, mm. does that mean we're all going to be riding around on pregnant bikes? I don't know. But, yeah. That's kind of why I'm a bit confused because I looked at that photo, especially some of their other releases, the Venge Vias and even the new Venge and even the SL7, which is that one of the first do-it-all bikes. Um, not do-it-all. That's what that's my gravel gripe. I mean my aero lightweight mix bike. Uh, this looks like another offering of that and I don't think it's going to wash now. But does it really matter how it rides, Jesse? Because it's <laughs> going to be such a good bike. It's going to be so fast. It's going to be such a good bike. And as this week has proved to me, no one cares what bikes ride like. Yep. All right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go for a bit of a rant here. So yep. you just you just settle in, Jesse. Yep. We've sat here for a few months and we've talked, we've bemoaned the state of um, ride reviews uh, on YouTube. And saying that, you know, there's not enough like real in-depth people riding these bikes, especially these new bikes from Chinese brands. We're all, we're all seeing first looks. This is what it's like. This is what it's ways built up with, you know, sensor or whatever the, the group set might be. But no one is spending the time to sit down and ride them and give us a review. Mm-hmm. Well, someone did this week. Cam put a video out. Uh, a review of his elves Falith. Falith? Yep. I'm just Evo. Go with that. Evo. And look, as far as ride reviews go, as what you can expect from 15 minutes, mm-hmm. you he covered literally every base I can possibly imagine of what you would want in a ride review. You know, he gave he put all the pretenses in of, you know, this is a subjective opinion about how it rides, the feel of it. And he also put timed segments in. He gave examples and comparisons to other bikes that he used. He has some set routes that he used, some set segments that he used and how it performed. Um, Talked about the big discussion about the geometry of it, which I think is a massively overlooked thing. And hard to do. And very hard to do. obviously cut in parts of the the stuff that he did with um, the fiberglass bit. And like, again, I'm just trying to say Mm -hmm. that is a 15 minute ride review that covered every base and gives everyone enough information, whether they should go out and buy that bike from a review perspective. Yep. 40,000 views. Yep. Okay. Now Mm -hmm. that's, that's fine. That's a lot of views, et cetera. But in the, the scheme of what those videos have well what the first look, the clickbaity things get. Yeah, it's a drop in the ocean, mm. and so I'm going to say that people don't give a shit what a bike actually review, what actually a bike rides like, mm-hmm. because the numbers don't lie. It's freaking annoying, isn't it? Yeah, 
Yeah. So the previous video he did before that, 196,000 views. That's where they found that the fiberglass in the steerer. The other one, I can't ride this bike. So basically him taking it to a bike fitter, 99,000 views. Him building it, 63,000. First look, 57,000. Then he actually rides, rides the it bike. and provides what you would think people want and he only gets 40,000 views. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's so it's because what does he do next time he gets a bike? Why would he waste all that time actually reviewing it? Why not just do and it? It comes back to that thing I said with the Chinese group set stuff. Why would you waste time actually testing anything? If you want to just get YouTube views, just do the first look and controversy around some part of the product, get your views and move on to the next thing because the reviews aren't worth the time. That, I don't think, I'm not going to like make this some big sort of love in about it, but people don't realise the time that that, takes like that's that's months of actual time spent between the actual physical writing the d development of his thoughts and perspectives on it the shooting it the editing it like it's it's months of work and like you said why bother why bother <laughs> when you can just unbox something knock it around a bit take it to a carbon person or whatever it is come up with a controversy and you get sort of eight times eight times the views and mm -hmm. you know He's he's not making money from elves. Elves aren't giving uh, paying him to do that review. He's the way he brings income in is views mm -hmm. and you know AdSense. So you know he he'll look at that and go, well, fuck this. I'm not doing ride reviews anymore if no one gives a shit. Yeah, I don't know. So I'm a, I, that kind of triggered me a bit this week, especially off the back of your commentary about um, no one's actually doing in depth stuff. Well, someone does, and no one cares, especially. Especially because who else has done videos on it? So GC Performance has done the overview, I'm shocked, unboxing, something about the steerer tube, another overview, another Chinese build overview, another over... He, GC's done seven videos on it, probably nearing on two or 300,000 views total spending 10 minutes in his car park, <laughs> why would you actually do the review again? And this other, the other channel that was doing it, um, so this Jordan Coleman guy, again, he's got the Falleth. He was doing all these build videos um, with it. Chinese Superbike, 45,000 views, completing the build, building it, full build, unboxing. Again, hasn't put the time to do a review and he's probably on accumulated total, you know, nearly 200,000 Total views. So, uh, again, uh, just um, I don't know if I have a point. It's just an interesting What do people want? Thing. See, yeah. the, well, I mean, the numbers don't lie on what people want. Like the, the Polygon Helos thing is exactly the same in the sense that it's like 90,000 views and it's literally Cam just sitting down going, here's what it cost. Like it's really good value. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't – the time spent in that video is nothing compared to the time spent in going out and writing, giving experience on it. But people don't care. Mm-hmm. And – Maybe that's maybe that is because we are all in the place of his experience riding this bike is not relevant to me. I get that. Yes, that's potentially a thing, but mm. I I don't I don't agree when it comes to someone who has ridden as many bikes as someone like him. He's got a good feel, I would have thought, for what a bike is and rides like. I think that opinion is valuable. I definitely I think e even a, a fully subjective opinion is still better than nothing, mm. isn't it? Yeah. I'd rather know what he thinks of it and then take that with a grain of salt and take that with other people's opinions as opposed to just having absolutely no idea what it rides like. But maybe is, is it that people don't have interest or are people just burnt out from three or four months of just clickbaity first look stuff that by the time the review actually comes out, the audience is kind of done with it. Because even on my homepage, I'm this, you know, his video popped up. It's probably the... 12th or 13th time I've seen an Elves video in my homepage and I'm less inclined to click on it because yeah. everyone's already milked it for, for all the clicks already. So is, is a bit of audience fatigue coming into yeah. play? There's not much we can do about that because... Well, like, yeah, you can. Stop fucking making pointless clickbait videos on it without actually writing it. <laughs> same with the, it's it, the exact same thing I said about the Chinese stuff. Mm. Test the stuff. But the problem is it takes time. And then in that time, you know, <laughs> that's that's the... Yeah, and, and it takes until, time until, and effort. You have to have yeah. some 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 respect for the audience. 
yeah. essentially. Well, it, it it's one of those things, and this is where it works in other industries where, you know, someone like Cam might get the new SL8 today, right? Mm-hmm. And he's able to ride it for six months. And then when the bike's released, he's got the six-month review done. And that happens like with those like Insta3, all those cameras, like the influencers get the stuff way before and then the, the embargo drops and now comes the review and it's an actual review rather than, shit, I'm unboxing it. Oh, here it is. <laughs> like, you know? So I don't know. Maybe that's the, the angle to it. Yeah. So get the video up, bug. Yeah. I don't know. Um, where else was I? Where else? No, that was that was kind of my rant on yeah. that. I um, I actually felt I I just felt sorry for Cam honestly because he put so much effort in the video, does it well, and everyone's kind of sick of it and goes, oh, well, not interested. Mm. I mean, that sucks. That's that's my thoughts. I kind of looked at it a bit yeah selfishly and went, well, I'm can't be bothered doing a review of the chapter <laughs> two or anything like <laughs> like someone with two hundred subs can only get like. 40,000 on a really good review. Like, what's the point? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Um, okay, other YouTube, YouTube-ish thing I want to talk about yep. is uh, Tour de Titema. Yeah. Yes. So a few months ago, I brought these boys up and you went, who? Mm-hmm. And then I said, they're going to start their own team. They're going to do, do it on YouTube, you know, following in the Nero footsteps, you know, mm-hmm. cut, p- paved the path for them. <laughs> and you went, I don't give a shit. Don't care. I no one's going to care. No one's going to watch any of this stuff. Yep. Turns out they did. Mm, well, yep. okay. And they're becoming a pro team. Yeah. After one year of the team existing, being a Conti team, that I have never – oh, actually, I wouldn't say I've never seen. I've seen, you know, these teams pop up and some rich person just buys a license. But a seemingly organically growing team go from – not existing to pro team in two years, what the heck? So it's to the Tour de Tietma Unibet, I think the team's called. Yep. And they're a pro team next year. So for those that don't follow how the UCI teams work, they're not World Tour, one of the, the big ones. They're the next step down. So pro, it used to be called Pro Continental, now it's just called a, a pro team, which is takes a lot of cash and is a really big deal. And I, I was almost, I was so shocked when I saw this. It's really fast. And then in terms of like the YouTube channel, there there actually is genuine interest. And this is what I find really crazy. So there was a video uh, they did where they got their first result. Let me bring it up. Our first ever win, Slag Om Wones Direct. Pure team video showing their first win. It's got 124,000 views. And their YouTube channel isn't even in the English-speaking circles. So I'm, it's, it's unbelievable how well that channel's doing. Because imagine 124,000 views in more of the Dutch-speaking ecosystem. That's equivalent to a 500,000 view video in the US, UK market. I, I'm always speechless. <laughs> it's crazy. I love this stuff. Like I've been watching it for a while. This came across me uh, a couple of years ago with their Tour de France. They do like this stupid challenge stuff. Look, I would describe it like as as a, a more of a lads, boys, funny version of a GCN challenge. You know, a, a GCN challenge might be someone writing up. In fact, they almost copied the one this week, what I giggle at, giggled at, which was, so they they tried to beat uh, Jasper Philipson's time up the final climb with one of their guys. And I noticed like a couple of days later, GCN had Hank trying to beat <laughs> whoever the last guy in the, the gruppetto up, uh, up the wares was. But anyway... Um, but it's like it's, it's chalk and cheese the way they do it. Like, and they've got this really good. They seem to have a really good relationship with, especially the Dutch and Belgium pros. So they'll often like just be on the side of the road chatting to them. And the pros want to be on the channel. Like, like Vanderpol's like, no, give me the ball, give me the ball. Like he wants <laughs> to do the the dribbling challenge and try and win it. And they get sent challenges by some of the pros and all that kind of stuff. So it's got it's got the the banter of it. I. Are the videos in English? No, so they're no. subtitled in English. Yeah. Okay, that's even more impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's pretty it's pretty good. Like I'm I'm surprised that the team stuff's done so well. Yeah, I I didn't think people would care. No, I really didn't. And it's kind of double. It's all that because only one of the guys is in the team. Mm-hmm. The other two guys are like 
funny dudes. Like <laughs> yeah. they're just sort of, I think it's Yossi and, oh God, don't, yeah, not going to remember the, the other fella's name. Okay, you can be pretty cynical about it. I was initially and, okay, great, they've got a sports betting sort of company that's thrown them a bulk of money and now they're going to be, you know, pro Conti. But, you know, here we were whinging about people not talking about what's going on in cycling underneath it all in the beginning with Visma. Well, these guys could potentially be an invited team to the tour next year and you'll have a YouTube, like, mm-hmm. video of it. So, I don't know, I feel like this is a step in the the right direction and mm-hmm. good on them. Like, good on them. Seriously. It's such like, a big undertaking. so cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, big fan. I know I know Benji's a massive fan of these boys. Big big fanboy of bus, I'm told. This has to be again, I come back to this non-English speaking thing because they they got 165,000 subs. They're getting more views than pretty much every other cycling YouTube channel. Would you say, I'm going to throw it out there, this is behind GCN but it's a bigger channel than Francis Cade. Yeah. It's probably it's arguably the top three most successful cycling YouTube channels. And it does it's not even in English. And it's got it's only going one way. Like this this is this is gonna keep going. This could blow up big time. Yeah. You know, by the time you know, if they get, if they get into the tour, imagine what the tour like they're <laughs> yeah. Like I wonder how they've done uh, yeah. Uh, the th- problem is I don't watch the video, so I don't I don't really know how they've Developed, but who is the audience? Is 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 it a lot of the people in? Is it really just heaps of the Dutch people and the Belgians watching it? Would, it? I would imagine it would be the racing crowd in Dutch uh, in um, Belgium and Holland. Like it's it's a young audience, I reckon. Yeah. Like I'm not going to analyze it too much. Yeah, but it's clearly a banter, ladsy type mm. footy show thing. They set themselves stupid challenges to do. Um, get really good cameos on, like yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of stupid. It's what YouTube sort of designed for, yeah. really. This this sort of stuff, mm. like bigger than Legion. Sorry, like this is <laughs> yeah. Just, like if we're gonna talk, yeah. a Legion yeah. Conti or Pro Conti? Conti, they're Conti. Yeah, yeah. So the, yeah, a bit and get you would I'd have to say more. I there's more eyeballs on this than there is on Legion, which for the people watching this video in the US. Might find that hard to believe, but the numbers don't lie. All right, we thought we'd keep today's episode super light. <laughs> We're going to talk about transgender policy. Woohoo! Yes. All right, what you got for me? You see, I've done some updates. Yeah, they updated their transgender policy. Uh, it used to be uh, any transgender athlete could compete in the, particularly the female category, if they had suppressed their testosterone concentration for two years up to a certain level. They've now updated that rule and essentially made it stricter, meaning that if a male has gone through male puberty and then transitioned genders after that, they're not allowed to compete in the, the women's category. Okay. And I, it's, it is very controversial to, to talk about. It just, it just is. To me, it's not that controversial. Like from the way I see it, it's not that controversial a, a thing. I think this is... Um, pretty common sense. I'm actually surprised that it took them this long to implement um, this this rule. So, across other Olympic sports, is this is this sort of the precedent that they're setting, or, or is no, the, the, cycling out in front? The here? IOC still is running on their the previous rule with the testosterone suppression. The UCI is essentially uh, strict, going alone, stricter okay. in a sense. Not necessarily going. On. There's other sporting codes that have followed similar things, um, but. Yeah, the, the, the IOC is still different. Uh, what's takes on it, opinions, what do I got? Uh, I um, if, I always thought it was pretty pretty common sense in that if you've gone through puberty as a male, you even if you suppress your testosterone, you, you it's not out of the question that you retain at least some advantage. I mean, going through puberty changes your, your bone structure. It changes your the, your muscle structure, not just the, the immediate kind of benefit and suppressing your testosterone doesn't rid all of that. So it's not out of the question that some advantage would have been retained if someone's gone through puberty. I, the problem I have with all of this is that there's no there's no winner mm. in any of this. No. There's always, no matter what decision you make, 
there's always a lo- there's always a loser. So in, in this decision, for example, what does this mean for athletes coming up, young young? Not, I wouldn't say athletes, but young kids coming up playing sport. It's essentially putting pressure on them to take hormone blockers oh. because if you, you if you're a if you're growing up a boy and if and you don't suppress your um, you know you don't take the hormone blockers to stop puberty by the time you, by the time you get to 18 years old if you then decide to transition you you're essentially at a disadvantage in a sporting sense because you can't compete in the women's category so is there is there a potential that parents would see this and react with oh shit we got to get jimmy now jemima on some well, like puberty I, blocking like you would is think, that a thing i mean i not that black and white, but you can't tell me that wouldn't come into if mm. you had a child who was questioning their their gender that that wouldn't come into play, especially if, as more sports update this and maybe it tr- transcends sports and comes into different aspects of life. If if you're getting advantage by having s- stopped puberty as a male, you, that there is surely there would be some sort of pressure there that okay we n- we need to make this decision er- earlier on, um, so that comes into it. Um, I feel. I do feel kind of bad for the people that transition after puberty because what's what category are they going to mm. compete in? So their options are, okay, I've transitioned to and identifying as a woman, so I now got to, what, compete against the men? Well, they're not going to want to do that. Mm. And, and I'm not allowed to compete in the women's category, which it's just, it sucks. That, that sucks for them. So I don't – this isn't a – I'm not happy that this is a this is a, this is a decision because someone's always losing out. But I do think, in my opinion, you can now the the inclusivity and fairness that just in this arena they can't go hand in hand. That's because, a great point. So you have to make a decision: do we be inclusive and essentially let athletes compete in the women's category who have a they just have a biological advantage if they've gone through puberty? They just do. People argue that, but mm. as if you have understanding of physiology, you know that that just is the case. It may be small, but it is true. So, or do you be less inclusive and make the women's sport fair? Now, I, I person my personal belief is that it should be fair, but I'm not saying that happily because you then left the whole part of the sport. Um, you know, you covered the whole base. Eh? I've got really nothing to add. I think you said that really well. There's no, there are no winners. I'm like. You, I'm probably, I'm probably a bit harder on it, in the sense that I'm of the firm belief that sport isn't fair anyway. So that there's, it's not for elite sport. I've said this before. I won't go into it too many times, but elite sport is not for everyone, and that's just the reality of it. I'm still a bit hazy on the details here. Mm. I mean, how how do you know medically when someone's so, do you ha- how do you know? Do you have a documentation of when they started taking hormone blockers to suppress puberty? How do you prove that? I mean, it's quite of the rule is a is a pretty solid line in the sand, but I'm struggling to see how that really gets implemented. Oh, and in their mean. UCI press release, there's not really much detail on exactly how it will be enforced, which is potentially a problem. I mean, how do you? And then, because pu- it's not like you wake up one day and you've started puberty. Mm. So, do you have to be on hormone blockers from when you're ten years old or twelve? I, I I don't. I'm not sure the implementation here how that's going to come come about. It's 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 going to be a curious one how they actually do this. I mean, I have a nine year old daughter, and. You know, I, I, I do keep every time I sort of read this sort of stuff, I, I do kind of think like, is that a like, would that be a decision a parent like I would be having very soon? Like, is that the, is the cutoff coming? The only thing I, can I just to add a bit more context? I've, I've actually coached a, a, an athlete who transitioned genders from, from male to female, and I was coaching him to do that. It is fucking brutal. Think of you in your most overtrained, depleted physical state. It's that, but worse. It, it, it's so I do kind of. It's 
I can understand that maybe athletes who have transitioned say, how could you possibly say I have any advantage? I, I have no energy. I feel terrible. Um, so I, I kind of do understand while they might question saying us kind of sitting here saying, well, if you went through, you know, puberty and then transition, you have an advantage. They're probably going, what are you talking about? This is horrible. <laughs> I have no fitness left. Um, so That's I really definitely insight, understand man. that yeah. point of view. Um, so you can't, but you kind of have to look at it not necessarily on an individual level, but more on just a, a broader biological level um, in one sense. Um, what else do I have to say about it? Um, I mean, that's not even a cycling discussion around. I mean, that's a isn't that a big call to put a pre-teenager on like puberty big blockers? Call? Is that friggin' like <laughs> like is that holy shit? Like, yeah. I mean, I, I just. I can't wrap my head around that decision at all. Um, yeah. Uh. <laughs> I, I don't know. I find, yeah. Uh, yeah. So in terms of other takes and other policies, so Australian, I think it was their high-performance sport guidelines or whatever it was, came up with a different way of doing it, which was I, would, I think is more on the inclusive side as opposed to the fair side of the scale. And... Part of the policy is basically you need to prove that someone has an advantage for them to be excluded from the sport. So it's no black and white testosterone suppression rule. It's case-by-case case medical sort of basis. So for trans women to compete in a high-performance women's category, this is not community sport, this is high-performance, it is recommended athletes be made aware of the differences, blah, blah, blah. Sport may exclude an athlete on reasonable and justified grounds. Defined eligibility and fairness factors to include objective measures... I mean, whatever that means, hormone suppression and clear avenues for raising concerns for both trans athletes and other athletes affected by inclusion or exclusion. So basically you would have a panel of mm. experts who on a case-by-case -case basis would assess whether trans athlete would be allowed to compete in the elite sport or not. Interesting other take. I find that's just such a fuzzy, that's so, I mean, how do you prove black and white to a panel that, a trans athlete has an advantage over the rest of the competition. I mean, is there an outcome here where I don't know if I'm going to get pushed back. For, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. That trans athletes compete at the Paralympics. So that, that category is set aside for a certain, I mean, we've, Dealt with a little bit, obviously with with Dan and the rest of it, like a category, basically mm -hmm. in the Paralympics, that is set aside, and and in that you can incorporate all the different um, criteria that you set set out there, and we could even break it down further than that, and you could have certain levels of testosterone being a, as part of. I, I just feel, I mean, people aren't going to like that. No, I'll say people aren't going to like that because it's not inclusive. So I mean. I mean, that idea has already been implemented. So Belgian Waffle Ride over in the US announced mm -hmm. about a month ago something along those lines. So they've got the female category, which you have to be a biological female. You can't have transitioned. Male, who is men or anyone who identifies as a man can compete in the male category. And then an open category, which is anyone can compete in there. So you could be a cis male if you want. You can. I don't know why you'd compete in there or anyone that's transitioned. So they, they have included an open category, which again gets, I mean, as soon as you announce anything that's relates, that's not 100% inclusive, you're going to get pushed back from the, um, the mm. trans supportive side. But that idea of having a, some sort of separate category is, is being floated around. I don't know. How, how is that? Is that, I mean, yeah, what's, the, what, what's the, is that, People, people. I mean, that's um, what's the other option? Yeah, if you don't compete in that, you what? You, so you're either. Is it better to have a separate open category or force, according to the UCI rules, force the transitioned um, men to women to compete against the men? I mean, mm. what would what would I don't know? I, I, you'd have to. I, what would they rather do? An athlete in that situation? I don't. I actually don't know. I mean, either way, it's demeaning. Unfortunately, <laughs> so 
uh, is not really a good no. option. No. Yeah, I mean, I just can't get I, I just can't get it out of my head that elite sports not inclusive. But I, I know I, I need to be I need I need to yeah. probably think broader than that anyway. Um, what do you mean by that? In the sense that there's talent and there's not talent anyway, regardless. And there's basically yeah yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I yeah I can give millions. But then of even pay even at not a, yeah even at a non elite level, there's still what that's do you the do? problem. You know, what do you do in high school sport? Yes, and I, I do I do feel like that's where. We do need we need different different legislation for different circumstance like um, mm-hmm. community based sport. I mean, I, I don't that's that should very much be more lean more to the inclusive side of it, obviously, because we want more people playing sport, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, but and you can argue like, well, that's unfair <laughs> on the people at community, <laughs> and that's just going to piss off people who are competing there. Yeah, I don't know, yeah. Jesus, freaking. Yeah. Anyway, grenades everywhere. I, I I think I'm I'm I like the UCI's decision. I think it's a common sense one for for fairness. And uh, yeah, I think I think I'm it's a good in line in the sand for yeah. 2023. I yeah. think we're gonna we're gonna keep readdressing this mm-hmm. definitely. As, the, as so the other pushback that comes from this is that women's pro cycling has so many. Issues that the push, the instant pushback, especially I saw this a lot on Twitter, is basically, well, you don't care about women's cycling. You only care because it's the transgender issue, uh, blah, blah, blah. So there's always that pushback in that as soon as you, us even talking about this, there'll people say, well, you hardly ever talk about women's cycling. So why do you even care? Like you shouldn't have a voice because oh, you see. don't stand up for equal pay in the women's pro peloton and equal race calendar and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, that's a, uh, point that will come up fair enough <laughs> okay yeah people think we we choose topics on this conversation for in for this show for any other reason than it's the shit we talk about on bike we, we legitimately discussed this on the bike the other day mm. so you see the uci update the po- yeah. it's a, like, isn't everyone talking about this yeah even though it's you would think no one's talking about it because it no one wants to but i think most in most bunches, it comes comes up every now and again. Don't overanalyze the topics that we bring on this <laughs> this show. It's the shit that we talk about on bike rides, and essentially, hopefully, the shit you guys talk about on bike rides. I'm in the U.S. in August. USA, USA, USA. Yep. Uh, with family, I want to do some. I want to do some races. And I went online to have a look in California, like what races can I do? Like not gravel races, like bike races. So let me know, guys. Uh, in the comments if there are any. So we're going to be just outside of Fresno, but I'm kind of mobile enough to move around. So month of August, if there's any crits, roadies, stuff that you might suggest, let me know. Do you mind getting out and doing a couple nice. of them? Put your money where your mouth is, money boy. Let's <laughs> do a legion lead out. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, guys, thank you so much for watching. Uh, let us know down below stuff. That's a great send-off. I've done a pro. <laughs> I'm a pro. Thank you for your time, JC. Nero suit. Link below. Get around it. Get amongst it. All right. Talk to you soon. Yep. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.